All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to the sanctuary and back to your seats. And if I could take advantage of this opportunity and ask everybody on the outside to kind of move in towards the center, that would be awesome. You guys ready to get in the Word of God this morning? That was really lame. Are you guys ready to get in the Word of God this morning? All right. All right then, Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. And while you guys are turning there, I'm gonna pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word which is living and active and powerful. It's able to get down deep and and transform our lives. You use this book which you inspired to speak to your sheep. And so we pray this morning that you you would do that. And we also want to lift up our beloved Pastor Ross. We love him so much, and we're so thankful that you've gifted our fellowship with such an incredible uh, example and teacher of your word. And so we pray that you would pour out your spirit on him as he's over there encouraging those uh, believers who are in a restricted nation in very difficult circumstances. And so... We send our love to him and we pray you just bless him. And we commit our service to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, as many of you know, Pastor Chuck Smith, who is really the founding pastor of Calvary Chapels, went home to be with the Lord on October 3rd. As a matter of fact, Pastor Ross was at his memorial last Sunday evening and he said that there was 13,000 people in attendance. That is amazing. Now I can tell you why so many people went to this man's memorial. It's because he made a serious impact for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Here's a guy, he he really wanted to be used by God and he really wanted to make a, a difference in the lives of those who were in the church and in the lives of those who were outside of the church. And make an impact, he did indeed. In 1965, he took over a small pastorate of a congregation consisting of about 25 people down in Costa Mesa called Calvary Chapel. And while teaching the Bible inside of the church, he and his wife began to reach out to the hippies who were outside of the church, the lost. And what resulted was an amazing uh, move of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, which we call now the Jesus Movement. Thousands upon thousands of people giving their life to Jesus Christ. They had massive baptisms in the Pacific Ocean down at Corona Del Mar, featured in Time Magazine. You just see all of these people on the shore. 1,500 church plants, radio stations, Bible colleges, massive crusades. The list goes on and on. Now, what was his secret? And why was Chuck Smith so effective? I believe it's very simple, very, very simple. He was a man who believed the truth of what the Apostle Paul taught, which we will find in our text this morning, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And he allowed himself to be used by God, just like the Apostle Paul allowed himself to be used by God to deliver that message to those who were around them. And what they both saw was a miraculous move of the Holy Spirit where lives were transformed. So this morning as we dive into our text, my hope and my prayer is that you and I will be inspired to do the same thing, to offer ourselves to God to spread his message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we're gonna see lives around us transformed. So Romans chapter one, and for our first part of the text, it'll be verses eight through 15. So he says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son 
is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. And so our first point this morning is longing to be used by God. Now I really like the Apostle Paul. I really admire this man who by the way is the author to this epistle to the Romans. He was a real dreamer, a real visionary. He was a prayer warrior and a, a doer of the word all wrapped up into one. A man who really put feet to his faith. He wasn't just a pew warmer. This guy had traveled all over the place with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that's what we've been learning about with Pastor Ross in our study through the book of Acts. He traveled all over Asia Minor, leading people to faith in Jesus Christ, making disciples. He planted churches in the region of Galatia and in the city of Ephesus. And matter of fact, Ephesians, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 19 and verse 10 says that, that every single person in the province of Asia had heard the gospel through the apostle Paul. Incredible. He also traveled throughout southern Europe planting churches in the city of Philippi, in the city of Thessalonica, and even down in Corinth. So this guy had an amazing resume. But he wasn't finished, even after all of that. You never get a hint in the scripture that the Apostle Paul thought to himself, you know, I've preached the gospel to millions of people. I've planted churches all over the world. I've written 13 or 14 New Testament letters depending on whose opinion you believe. I've gone to heaven and back. I've, I've healed people so you know what? I'm good to go now. No, not the Apostle Paul. His philosophy was this, I'm not finished until God takes me home. You see, the Apostle Paul, he knew that Rome had two great needs, just like Santa Rosa has two great needs. And he longed to be used by God in service to fulfill those needs. So, the first need that he noticed was that in Rome, they needed help within the church. You see, there were believers there in Rome. They had gotten saved some 20 plus years before the Apostle Paul ever wrote this letter. You remember in Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus Christ rose from the dead, the Apostle Peter stands up and there's a huge crowd standing before him, thousands upon thousands of people. And he begins to preach about the resurrected Savior, Jesus. Such a powerful message, such a, a convicting message. He didn't even have to give an altar call. They were crying out, what must we do to be saved? And he told them what they had to do. 3,000 people that day gave their heart to Jesus Christ and many of them were from Rome. And so eventually they returned back to Rome and they began to live out their faith in Jesus Christ in their city and they were making a difference. And Apostle, the Apostle Paul gives a shout out to them in verse eight, he says, your faith is being reported all over the world. They were being light, they were being salt, just like Jesus said. But I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy. 
It wasn't easy to be a Christian in the city of Rome. They didn't have the New Testament like we have. They were trying to live morally pure in an immoral society where prostitution was legal. They believed in one God, but the Romans worshiped the, the Pantheon, the collection of hundreds and hundreds of gods. They worshiped the sun and the moon and the stars. They worshiped Mars and they worshiped Jupiter. The Christians believed that Jesus is Lord and that's what they confessed. The Romans, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians were always misunderstood. When they talked about communion, when they talked about taking in the, the body and the blood of Jesus and reflecting on that, the people thought that they were cannibals. When they talked about going to love feasts, what we would say potlucks and, and referred to one another as brother and sister in the Lord, they were thought to have been engaging in incestual relationships. So it was very, very difficult to be a Christian in the city of Rome. And the apostle Paul knew that. He knew that they needed help. He knew that they needed encouragement. He knew that they needed to be unified. And he wanted to be there to help them. Now I would argue that it's just as challenging to be a Christian here in the city of Santa Rosa. Trying to live a pure and holy life in an immoral uh, city, in an immoral society, in an immoral culture where sexual perversion is, ex is exalted. It's blasted on every billboard, every TV screen, shot throughout the radio stations and every magazine. Abortion, or shall I say murder, is legal. We, leave in a, in, we live in a uh, syncretism. Uh, we live within a, I can't even say the word. <laughs> We're surrounded by churches who replace the truth with what is culturally acceptable. Rainbow banners flying outside of churches saying all are welcome. And we know they're not supporting Noah there. We know what they're up to. <laughs> We're misunderstood. We're called narrow-minded religious bigots, and haters of mankind. So it's tough to be a Christian in Santa Rosa, and therefore, there's always a need, even in our fellowship, for the body of Christ, for you and I, not just to come to church, but to be the church, to look for ways to serve one another, to look for ways to help one another, to look for ways to encourage one another and to build one another up so that we can live for God in this immoral society. And so first, Paul knew that there was a great need in the church of Rome. And secondly, he knew that there was a great need outside of the church of Rome in the city. It is estimated that up to one million people lived in the city of Rome, up to one million. And only a small fraction were believers in Jesus Christ. Most of them were living in darkness. Most of them were going down the broad road, as Jesus would say, entering through the wide gate which leads to destruction and in danger of entering in eternity without God, in danger of going to hell. And Paul wasn't willing, this is what I love about Paul, it's so inspirational to me, he wasn't willing to sit back and do nothing. He wanted to be there to reach out to those who didn't know the Lord, to, to reach out to those who were in danger of falling into an eternity of outer darkness. Listen to this uh, segment from the Huffington Post, a story. A bus driver in Brooklyn was returning home to Coney Island from his job at about 2 p.m. when he heard screams coming from a building at a courtyard. He rushed toward the commotion and saw a girl standing on the top of a third floor, third floor window air conditioning unit. She's standing, a little girl, on this air conditioning unit, dancing. He runs over underneath the air conditioning unit. There's a video of it, it's amazing, and she's up there teetering and teetering, I mean, and he starts calling out to the girl, telling her she needs to get back inside, but, 
but she's autistic. And so she doesn't even realize that she's in danger. She doesn't know what's going on. And then all of a sudden, the little girl falls. And this elicits horrified screams from the neighbors all around. But guess what? He was there. He was there to catch her. Just an ordinary guy willing to reach out, really willing to be there to catch someone when they were falling. And because he was there, because he was willing, because he reached out, that little girl's life was saved. And, and the Apostle Paul, he wanted to be that kind of guy. A guy who's just willing to be there, Lord. Willing to reach out to those who are falling. A man who is just longing to be used by God to make a difference. And I wonder today if there are people like that in this room who are longing to be used by God, longing to make a difference in the church, and longing to reach to those outside the church, to those who don't know Jesus Christ, because these two great needs, one inside the church, one outside the church, have always existed. Every place, every town, every city from the first century, even until now, even in our city, even in our church. And that's why Jesus Christ gave us, in Matthew chapter 28, the great commission. He said, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. It has been given to me and so this is what I want you to do, my people. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go. I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and lead people to me. You see, because I see people as, as sheep without a shepherd. I love them. I'm the good shepherd who laid down my life for the sheep and I love them and I want them to know me, so go and bring them to me. And once they know me, once you have done your work outside of the church, now I want you to work inside of the church. I want you to teach them about me. He gave us the great commission. He doesn't want us sitting back and doing nothing. He wants us to get involved. He wants us to do our part. He wants us to participate. There are ministries in our church that are in need. The kids ministry, the, the breakthrough ministry, there are, are thousands upon thousands of people in our city who do not know Jesus Christ. I read a statistic the other night that said 96% of the, of, of the people in Sonoma County are unchurched. 96%, that's a really big number. And to me, that just says we live in an awesome mission field, an awesome place to be used by God. I believe that you and I can make a difference. You see, Paul made a difference, and he was an active participant in the Great Commission because he understood two things. And I believe that you and I can make a difference. And I believe that you and I will be inspired to be active participants in the Great Commission when we realize these two things. And the first is that we have something to offer. You have something to offer. Look at verse 11. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. You see, the apostle Paul knew, I have something to offer. And you say, well, he's the apostle Paul. Of course he has, no. Each and every single 
born again Christian has something to offer, has something to bring, has something to give, has something to share of themselves to make the church of Jesus Christ stronger and to help reach those outside of the church. I was speaking with a young guy a little while ago and he was, he was discouraged and he was, he was depressed feeling like he was worthless, like, like, like he had no purpose, like, like he was unusable, I, I have no gifts, God can't use me, I, I'm different. And I said, well, you're in good company. A lot of guys in the scriptures that God used greatly felt the same way. Moses felt like he couldn't even speak and yet he's in the hall of faith. Jeremiah felt like he was too young to do the task that God had called him to do, and yet he wrote an entire book in the Old Testament. You see, it's a lie from the pit of hell and from the throne of Satan. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 11 says that the Holy Spirit of God has given to each and every single Christian a spiritual gift a gift to be used for his purposes and for his kingdom. And then in Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, he says that we are his workmanship. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God planned beforehand that we should walk in them. So God has gifted you and God has special jobs just for you. Unique ministry just for you that I can't do, that Pastor Ross can't do, that only you can do. You are usable. You do have something to offer. Well, I don't know what my gifts are and I don't know what God's plan for me is. He didn't write it down and give it to me. Where do I start? You start by offering yourself to God. You're in good company. A lot of us don't know what our gifts are. A lot of us don't know what God's plan is. So you start by offering yourself to the Lord. Romans chapter 12. In view of God's mercy, in view of what Jesus Christ has done for me, I am to offer my body I am to offer my life as a living sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable, which is my reasonable act of spiritual worship. God, I, I know that there are needs within the church. And I know that there are hurting people outside of the church who, who don't have what I have. They don't have a relationship with you, Lord. Can you use me? I don't. I don't know what my gifts are. I feel unusable. I, I feel ignorant. I feel, I, can you use me, God? I'll tell you what, the Lord really likes that. He really likes those kind of prayers, that humility and that just total surrender because then God gets to show off his power because then God gets the glory, God gets the honor, and God gets the credit. I was talking with a young adult about two months ago. He came to me and he was saying, you know, I, I wanna be used by God more. I don't really share my faith very often. And, and so I, I took him to one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, which is Luke chapter 10 and verse two. Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He said, the harvest, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's a lot of people out there who don't know me. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. There's not a lot of workers. And so here's what I want you to do, Christians. Here's what I want you to do, brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want you to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to me, and I will raise up workers, and I will send them out to my harvest field. Pray to me, and I will use you. And so we prayed. We prayed right here, probably right, some right there by Richard and Ann. We pray that God would open doors, that God would use him. This guy's on fire now. He's a maniac. 
He's telling everybody about Jesus Christ. He's out of control. Every Saturday, he's, I know, I love it too. He's out on the street sharing the gospel, sharing with his family, sharing with his friends. And even on top of that, he's getting ready to start serving here at the church. Serving inside the church, serving outside the church. So here's the thing. When you offer yourself to God and say, God, use me, he's going to take you up on your offer. And here's what you'll discover. You'll discover that not only will God use you to be a blessing, but you yourself will be blessed. Look at verses 11 and 12. He says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And so you'll be a blessing. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith so that you'll be blessed. I have seen lives, the lives, of those who, who began to serve in the church and, and then began to serve outside of the church absolutely transformed and turned upside down for Jesus Christ, including my own life. When I was a brand new Christian, just a baby in the Lord, almost 10 years ago now, I was working at Safeway and I uh, worked in the deli and um, you know, I began to realize you know, I'm surrounded by people who don't know Jesus Christ everywhere. None of them know the Lord. There was like a believer over in the photo department and one at Starbucks, but that was it. Everybody else in my mind didn't know Jesus. And so, and so I started by offering myself to God. God, can you use me here? Can you use me to make a difference? And, and he began to open doors. I was sharing the gospel with everybody at Safeway. I caught fire. I was so blessed. I actually, in my prayer journal, I changed the name of Safeway to Saved Way. <laughs> That's the vision. That's the vision that God gave me. Now, there was this gal who started working there in the deli department with me. And her name was Olivia. And uh, we connected right away because we had a similar background. You know, she was a, a former meth addict. She was trying to get off of that stuff. And, and I myself was a former meth addict and now a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I began to share with her about the Lord and, and the forgiveness and, and the newness of life that he offers. And one day there, in Safeway, in the deli, behind the counter, right by the water sink, with customers in line, I asked her, you wanna give your heart to Jesus Christ? And she's like, sure. <laughs> and so I put my arm on her and we prayed. And she gave her heart to Jesus Christ right there in Saved Way. Isn't that a crazy? Now God had even more in store for me than I could ever have imagined. He blessed me by using me to lead someone to Christ. But the story has a real interesting twist. Because Olivia had a cousin, a cousin named Beth, who happened to go to the same church that I went to, but she was much too beautiful for me to ever talk to. Now Beth had been trying to lead Olivia to the Lord for a long time to no avail, no success. You ever had someone like that? You just, but she found out that some Hotshot Christian. <laughs> I'm kidding. She found out that some Christian guy led her cousin to the Lord. And so she came into Safeway to thank me. She, she bought me a cross necklace and she gave it to me. And right there on the spot, the Lord gave me courage. I asked her for her phone number. Five weeks later, we got married. That's what we call a match made in heaven, folks. So, so you'll be blessed. You will be blessed as you reach out to those who are outside of the church, but also as you begin to serve within the church. Now, when I began to, uh, when I came to this church five years ago with my family, when I first started attending, I wanted to be a blessing here. I wanted to help out in some way. We were still in Sebastopol. I wasn't really sure what my gifts were or how I could be of service. And so I offered myself to God. God, 
You know me, you know how you've gifted me, you know what the church needs more than I do, so can you use me here somehow, some way to be a blessing? And then I began to look for a need in the church. How can I be a blessing? And I discovered that the church needed to be clean, cleaned on a consistent basis before the Sunday morning services. Because it's super importante to Pastor Ross that the church is company ready when you guys come in. And so I decided I can do that. I can clean the church. And so I would take care of the toilets. Pastor Ross wouldn't have to worry about that. And he could focus on the mission that God gave to him. And that was to preach the word of God. And so as I began to serve in this obscure way, God began to bless me. To bless me in ways that I never could have imagined or dreamed of. He gave me the privilege and the honor to serve alongside of Pastor Adam in the young adults group. And Pastor Adam poured into my life. He mentored me. He trained me. And he raised me up, giving me the opportunity to teach the word of God. And then God blessed me even more than that. He gave me the privilege on a Good Friday service to be able to stand up with all of the pastors, Pastor A, Pastor B, Pastor C, and Janitor Jim, <laughs> and to share from the word of God, to talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as I stepped out to be a blessing in the church, God blessed me by revealing to me my calling and my purpose. And so as you begin, begin to step out and allow God to use you to be a blessing in the church, he is going to bless you. So Paul was inspired to be active in the Great Commission inside the church and outside the church, first, because he knew he had something to offer, and second, because he was obligated. He knew it was his duty. Look at verses 14 and 15. He said, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. Now that word obligated can be translated debtor. One who owes someone something. Listen to this quote from John Stott, a commentator. He says, it is Jesus Christ who has made Paul a debtor by committing the gospel to his trust. Similarly, we are debtors to the world. If the gospel has come to us, which it has, we have no liberty to keep it ourselves. Nobody may claim a monopoly of the gospel. Good news is for sharing. We are under obligation to make it known to others. And so just like the Apostle Paul, we are obligated. Jesus has given us something. He's given a, us a message that is not just for our salvation, but it's, it's for the world. And we're not supposed to bury this treasure, but we're supposed to share the treasure with everyone around us. Now, I was reading this guy's blog, and the title of his blog said this, UPS refuses to deliver package. Messes up my daughter's birthday. Ouch. UPS, one job. You're entrusted with a package. Therefore, you are obligated to get that package where it belongs. But because they didn't do that, this person's day was ruined. Now, it might be kind of a silly analogy, but it works for me. I see us as heaven's UPS men and women. We have been entrusted with a precious package, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have been commissioned by God to deliver that package to each and every single person's heart. We are to take it to the door of everybody's heart. And if they open that door and they sign on the dotted line and they open that package, what do they get? Eternal life and the forgiveness of sins and a relationship with God and they get to go to heaven. Now they have the choice, they have the option not to open the door. They have the option to refuse the package but nevertheless, that's theirs. That's their decision. We're under obligation to deliver that package, are we not? Now, 
I used to uh, have no problem sharing the gospel. I was always surrounded by people who didn't know Jesus before I worked at the church. I worked for PG&E's Energy Partners Program. It was really a sweet gig. I got to go to people's houses and give them free refrigerators, free weather stripping, uh, free CFL light bulbs. They're pretty expensive, by the way. And so it was a really cool job. I was like Santa Claus. They really loved me. And so I was just in people's houses all the time. And so before each house, before I went into their home, I'd spend like an hour with them, I'd pray and offer myself to God. God, would you use me here? And I would say about 50% of the time, I ended up sharing the gospel with people. So much so that eventually I got suspended from my job. But man, it was (laughs) worth it. Now, (laughs) I'm not gonna get suspended anymore for preaching. Now, So I used to have no problem, but since coming on staff here at The Rock, it's a little more difficult for me to share the gospel because I'm always surrounded by Christians. I teach the Bible to mostly Christians. I mean, there's a few non-believers sprinkled here and there, but I rub shoulders with Christians. I I counsel with Christians. I do work around the church, and so I'm not surrounded by non-believers all the time, and so it's really easy for me to go long periods of time without sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what I've discovered is that I need to be intentional, is that I need to be creative about seeking the lost. God, how can I, a guy who's always surrounded by Christians, do my part to reach those who don't know you? I understand fishing. You actually have to to take your gear and you have to go to the fishing hole and you have to catch the fish. How are you going to use me, God? How do you want to use me? Because I want to be used. And so what I've discovered that works for me is that on Saturdays, I, I intentionally set apart time to go and look for people who don't know the Lord. And so we go down to Juilliard Park now and last Saturday, we went down there, and, and there's a lot of people at Juilliard Park. And so what we do is we, we buy a whole bunch of Domino's pizzas. We bought 12 pizzas last Saturday and a few cases of soda. We set it up on a table underneath an oak tree, and then we gather together everybody in the park, and we say, hey, free lunch, Domino's pizza. And a lot of them are stoners, and so they love pizza. <laughs> And so they all come over to the tree and you know, before Jesus fed the people, he had them sit down. And so we ask everybody to sit down and we tell them we're gonna share a short message before we feed them. And so I cracked open the Bible uh, to a story where Jesus heals a man who's paralyzed. And the first thing he says to the guy, he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. And then he tells the guy, hey, I want you to know that I have the power to forgive sins So stand up on your feet, pick up your mat, and go home. And so I read that story to probably 20 people sitting down on the ground, all non-believers. And then I began to talk about the two things that Jesus specializes in, transforming lives and transforming destinies. And so this is what I do now with my brothers who do that with me on a regular basis. We go out, we feed, we share the gospel, we do altar calls, it's amazing. You have to find a way to deliver this message. You have to find a way, a creative way. You have to be intentional about it. Otherwise, you'll go long periods of time without sharing your faith. And people are dying every day. We're obligated. Now, here's the thing. When you are intentional about sharing your faith, you'll be a blessing and you'll be blessed. Amen? Amen. All right, let's move on. Verses 16 and 17 quickly. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so our second and final point will be a little bit shorter The gospel is the power of God. Now, why does Paul start out by saying, I'm not ashamed? Why does he start out by saying, I'm not embarrassed? Well, commentators believe it's probably because the temptation to be embarrassed, 
the temptation to be ashamed of the faith exists. Now, when I went to Santa Rosa Junior College, I was studying to become a nurse. I was taking all of the science classes. I was in biology class. I was in the microbiology class, the physiology class, and the anatomy class. All of those classes, all of the teachers, they taught the lie of evolution. There was no place for God. Faith was considered unintelligent and foolish. And you certainly didn't want to be considered unintelligent and foolish in those smart people classes. Now, one of my teachers in front of 300 people, 300 students, said that the story of Noah's Ark is a myth and the Bible is filled with myths. 300 people. And I said, nothing. Do you want to know why? because I was afraid of being embarrassed. I was afraid of being ashamed because the temptation to do so really does exist. I experienced that. Paul, he's going to the city of Rome. He's gonna preach the message of the cross. He's going to preach the message of Christ crucified and to them it would have been a foolish and ridiculous message because crucifixion was the most shameful form of death in those days, reserved for only the worst of criminals. You want us to believe in a criminal? You want us to believe in someone who couldn't even save himself from the cross? How is he going to help me? So the temptation to not even associate oneself with the name of Jesus would have been very, very real. Now, when I was in fifth grade, uh, we were extremely poor, single mom, okay, so poor, and we drove the ugliest car on the face of the planet. This car should have been condemned. Looked like it was pulled right out of a junkyard, okay? I didn't want to be seen in this car. Now, normally... I took the bus home from school, but on this particular day, mom was picking me up in the car. (laughs) And so I hid in the back of the parking lot, okay? And so when mom finally did pick me up, we started driving through the parking lot and I saw people I knew. So you know what I did? (laughs) I ducked because I was ashamed, because I was embarrassed. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wasn't ashamed to be seen as a follower of Jesus. He wasn't ashamed to be associated with the name of Jesus. He wasn't ashamed to share the name of Jesus. He never ducked. And we should never be ashamed to be followers of Jesus, to be associated with Jesus. We should never be ashamed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should never duck and hide our faith because our gospel isn't some broken down, beaten up, powerless, invented message. But our gospel is the very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now the Greek word for power there is dunamis and it's where we get our English word dynamite. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of his death and resurrection comes with the explosive and omnipotent power of the Holy Spirit of God to transform lives and destinies. Now I wanna close with this story, an amazing story of a man who was completely transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and the message which we preach. He grew up in a very abusive home in Mexico. His dad was a drunk, his dad was an alcoholic. Dad used to take him to the bars and at five years old, the kid would have to wait outside two, three, four, five hours at his time for dad to finish what dad was doing. And home life was very rough. Dad was an angel when he wasn't drinking and a demon when he was. 
He would beat his wife, choke her, punch her, uh, verbally abuse her, and abuse the children. And you could imagine what kind of impact this would have on a young man as he's growing up. His heart was filled with rage and anger and hatred. He hated his dad. He wanted to kill his dad. And as he grew into a young man, as he became a teenager, he began to take that out on the people around him. Every weekend, fights. He was an instigator. He always wanted to beat people up. And and when he was 18, he saw a guy with his girlfriend. And so he went and he got all his buddies riled up and they went to the party where that guy was with his girlfriend and they beat that guy and they left him for dead. He almost died. Well, he was arrested and he went before the judge and the judge gave him two options. Option number one, prison. Option number two, Vietnam. And so he said, I'll go to Vietnam. At least I can kill people. He goes to Vietnam and and you can imagine that didn't do him any good because now he's got someone who's trying to kill him. And so that just the rage and the anger welling up in him. And he's killing people and he's seeing his friends, those who shared the same foxhole with him being blown away. He went crazy. He started threatening to kill his commanding officers, started threatening to kill the psychiatrist. He, eventually he was discharged, a nutcase. He ended up getting married somehow to a Christian gal, married a Christian. And he began to drink and he began to to go about his old ways and and he followed in the footsteps of his dad and started beating his wife, choking his wife, hurting his wife. After four and a half years of this, she decided enough is enough, I'm out of here. And one day he came home, excuse me, he came home And he saw her suitcases sitting there by the door. She was at church with the kiddos. And he made it up in his mind. He made a decision. I am going to kill my family. I'm gonna kill my wife. I'm gonna kill my kids. And then when the cops show up, I'm gonna shoot it out with them. I'm gonna go out. This is how I'm going to go out. Then he goes into his closet. And he pulls out his rifle, 22 takes it over to the counter and he loads it with the bullets. And then he begins to walk around the house and trash the house with the rifle. Trashing it, trashing it. Destroying the house. And he walks over to the television with the end of the rifle, boom! He smashes the TV and the TV pops on. Picture pops on the TV screen. Guess whose face he sees? Guess whose voice he hears? Pastor Chuck Smith. Pastor Chuck Smith, a man who believed in the power of the gospel, a man who longed to be used by God and a man who offered himself, God, use me in the church, use me outside of the church. And as the man stood there listening to Pastor Chuck with that gun loaded, he said it, God took over and it it sounded like I was hearing the very voice of God and as Chuck preached the gospel through the television, the words were nailing me right in the heart and I fell on my knees and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. That man's name is Pastor Raul Reese of Calvary Chapel Golden Springs, a church of 15,000 He has a ministry called Somebody Loves You. He holds crusades. He was transformed because somebody believed in the power of the gospel and because someone offered themselves to God. We need not be ashamed of our message because our message is the most powerful message in the entire universe. And even the prerequisite to experience this power and this transformation in someone's life is simple. 
And that's what the 16th century reformer Martin Luther discovered. The righteous shall live by faith. Those who end up right in the sight of God, those who receive eternal life, those who receive the forgiveness of sins, those who get to go to heaven, they do it by simply trusting in Jesus. We don't have to tell people you need to climb up the stairs, a million stairs on your knees. We don't have to tell people you have to give a million dollars to the church. You don't have to sow your seed of faith. You don't have to pass out a million magazines. It's simple. Believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And the power of God will be unleashed in your life. That's what Raul did. He just got down on his knees and gave his heart to the Lord. Therefore, since we have a powerful message and such a, a simple message, let us confidently and boldly and prayerfully offer ourselves to God to be used in his great commission and he will use you to make a difference inside the church and outside the church and not only will you be a blessing but you yourself will be blessed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your gospel, which has made its way even to us. And now we just offer ourselves to you this morning as instruments of righteousness, as, as vessels that you might use for your glory and for your honor. Would you pour us out for the kingdom of God? Would you inspire us by your Holy Spirit to reach those who don't know you and to impact those who do know you. We long to be used by you, God. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Father, we're just so filled with joy. It's, we're just so amazed. We're so thankful to be Christians and, and to have forgiveness and eternal life and, and to have that hope of heaven, uh, that se secure hope. And we want other people who today don't have that hope to experience what we ourselves are experiencing even right now. And so we pray that you would use our church, that you would use each and every single one of us individually and collectively to make a difference in our community. We love you, Lord. It's for your glory. It's for the greatness of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.